Welcome back to Beyond the Helmet. I'm your host, Steve McGrath. And if you're watching on YouTube, I apologize. The lighting's a little shaky today. Had a couple of issues. But I'm here to tell you that Welcome back to Beyond the Helmet. I'm your host, Steve McGrath, and in this episode, I'm pleased to bring you Carrie Carter, and I apologize if you're watching on YouTube, my lighting here is a little shaky, but Carrie's going to jump into his football journey, because from Stanford football, he went into playing the NFL for a few years, about 2003 to 2007, then from 07 to 11, grinds it out in the CFL, wins a couple championships along the way, and now he's the VP of football operations for Atavis. So he's going to talk about how he then transitioned to life after being an athlete, but still very close to football and, and sports in general. So now without any further ado, here is Kerry Carter. If you like football, wouldn't you care about like where we're going with it and the companies yeah. that are leading the yeah. charge with the technology to, to change it? I believe it's Tacolytics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our yeah, the, I think the journey like to Atavis and for Atavis has been an interesting one because um, it started as a rugby company uh, way back in I believe 2010, and um, the founders um, a guy by the name of Wyseli Sarevi, and Sarevi is a Fijian rugby player played rugby sevens, and he's they call him the king of king of sevens. So he's kind of like the Michael Jordan of rugby sevens played forever, you know, represents his country well. And then they came to the, he came to the U.S. and wanted to work with a group that wanted to get rugby out across the nation. And so they ran camps and clinics and all these things. But he also went to church with a guy by the name of Rocky Seto, who's the Seahawks, you know, was a Seahawks coach and worked with Pete Carroll at USC. And he was the, he was their tackling guy. And so when Rocky started talking to Wyselli about, well, how do they do it in rugby? And, you know, they tackle a lot more, but they seem to stay on the, stay on the pitch longer and, you know, less injuries per tackle and all those things. And so that's when the whole thing kind of started coming together. They started working with the Seahawks on that. And the Seahawks put out this Hawk tackle video, which kind of blew up and went viral. And then as, as people started calling, you know, Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, they started pointing them over to Wyselli. But at that time, they didn't actually have a football division. They just, it was, you know, rugby guys, international players, Olympic athletes, all those things. And so they recruited a few a few people, a guy by the name of Rex Norris and others and myself to come and actually start up the, the football side of things. And so we've been, you know, focused on tackling um, technique uh, and analytics for the last, you know, longer than I've been there, five, six years but really has taken off over the last couple of years as we started getting some traction in, you know, on the youth and high school side, we really focus on um, tackling certification. So showing coaches the right way to do it, giving them a set of drills, giving them a way to, to uh, analyze it and report on it. Um, but the certification part of it really is like making sure they have a good foundation to build on. And it's both about safety and efficiency. And that's a part to me that got me really excited that, you know, I, I initially joined Atavis because I saw this safety component. So then we actually had way more data on the performance side to show when you perform these, uh, these techniques in the right way, you actually are more efficient. And you, it's not just about making tackles, but giving up less yards after contact, using your shoulder, not involving your head, and really protecting yourself as an athlete. So that really got me excited about what Advis was doing. And we've been able to grow it since then. And now we work with teams at 
all levels, so all the way up to NFL teams, and in different ways, right? We some of them we we just do, you know, some scouting stuff for, but others where you know, kind of soup to nuts. We work with them in season and the off season. We'll do analysis of their returning players, um, give them plans for the spring ball, you know, for the for fall camp, and then all during the season we're doing weekly. Uh, weekly analysis and reporting for the team so that they have a really clear understanding of, okay, how are we performing? Is tackling an issue? What what elements do we need to focus on? And and then, okay, how do we then make sure that what we're doing is practice in practice is showing up on the field? So it's kind of this really cool, you know, cyclical nature, which I, I thought was, you know, kind of ingenious in how they put it together. Absolutely. I, I mean, I just, uh, you know, today I released a podcast episode talking to uh, Jake Miller. Jake runs Grit Player Services. Uh, so he helps athletes grow their platform. And, and I just love the fact that you can be very close to a professional sports, but not be an athlete. And what Atavis is doing is, it, I mean, it's cutting edge to not just make the game safer, but more efficient. I, yeah. I, I mean, if you're a coach, or an athlete, why wouldn't you be like, yes, I want to play smarter and better at the same time. Uh, yeah. And then for you guys to have that data. So in, in you know, essentially real time on a day by day basis, you can go and tweak what you're doing and ultimately move toward, I mean, uh, Matt rule of, you know, was uh, yep. singing your praises in not too long ago. And, you know, yeah. sure enough, yeah, he's going to be, yeah, yeah Matt, Coach Rule's been awesome, man. Like being being able to work with that Baylor program last year and see the improvements that they made. And the thing is, they they bought in, right? They bought in kind of all the way, and so we worked with them for quite a while. They were tough, tough guys up front to to sell on it, because you know it's. I think we have kind of this mentality about tackling, where a lot of it is like, well, you either can or you can't, right? You guy can either hit or you can't. You can tackle or you can't. And then when you're able to show them well, here's what you're doing in practice and here's how it's showing up in the game. And we can tell you, you know, on, you know, in, in, in any game, your guys, when they use their shoulder, they say they use their shoulder over 50% of the time on tackles, they actually allow under two yards uh, after contact. You know, being able to give them that information and say, well, here's why you want to use your shoulder and then here's why you want to teach that in practice and then here's how it's showing up. So whether or not you think what you're doing in practice is showing up in the game, we give you a way to like put those two together and measure it. And I think that's when coaches' eyes open up when they see that. Uh, you know, I go back to, um, uh, you know, uh, Rutgers coach is now with Texas. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, but, you know, when we work with teams like that and we, they understand that, you know, no matter how, what level you're performing at, these little things can make you better, right? So even if you're working with the Seahawks and they're talking to Earl Thomas or, or like previously with Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner, you know, we did an analysis on Bobby where we looked at 40 or 50 tackles and he gave up, you know, I think it was, you know, 0.8 yards after contact on all those tackles, right? And his comment was, well, how do I get it to zero? Right. So you're dealing with guys at that level and we can actually tell you, okay, well, here's, here's what you can do. So just having that as a, as a baseline and a way to measure has been really, uh, it's really kind of impactful for teams and, you know, you're preaching to the choir, man. If you can have that combination of, you know, efficiency, safety, keeping your guys on the field, reducing injuries due to head contact, you know, why wouldn't you?
right? And, and it's just something that you have to get the culture and the mindset around it. It's still tough. It's still aggressive. It's still dominating contact. It's not this soft rolling thing that, that you know, some people uh, believe it is. But once you get past that and people see, see it for what it is, then I think it, it, it really breaks through and becomes something that people can buy into and hold on to. Yeah. I mean, if, if Bobby Wagner can buy in, if you can take literally the, I mean, now that Luke Keekley's retired, like the yeah. best linebacker, you know, now without question, and he's trying to get better, he's embracing it. It's like, well, yeah. if the best of the best in just the mentality of it's, it's 0.8 yards after contact, how do I get yeah. it to zero? How do I get it to negative? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's how winners think. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. I, I love that. But, um, you, you know, I myself am an operations guy, so I certainly can appreciate yeah. what you're doing at Atavis. But for you to be working more in the entrepreneurial space before you get there, mm-hmm. how, I mean, how did you get introduced to, you know, the role actually being extended to you and how much have you been able to sort of take what strengths that you do have and transfer them over into, well, plugging into this exact position? Yeah, you know, I think what, what initially attracted me to it, so a friend of mine was doing PR for, um, for the company and invited me to one of their investor events. So I just, you know, kind of went and fly on the wall and hear what they were talking about and see what they were presenting. And it, it, it intrigued me, but I had, I had questions as well. Like, okay, well, how do you make this sustainable? What about the fidelity of the teams? It's one thing to tell the coaches, but how do you make sure that they're getting it done in practice and all this? So I just came at it with a little bit different mentality. And I think from asking all those questions, initially I was going to do some consulting for them because I still had my, my kind of marketing business. Um, but it, it, sometimes it comes down to timing, man. I, I just had, we just had our second daughter and I was spending a ton of time out of the house because I was, you know, in the office during the week Then I'd be doing events on weekends and then during football season, I was, you know, Monday night football is gone, Thursday night football. So just spending all that time made it a little bit tough. Um, but also I think the opportunity I saw was that they were still at this very small level in terms of, um, the, the identity and the growth of the company. And so I could come in and actually almost operate like my own, like a startup within, within the startup. And so they gave me a lot of flexibility to, you know, work and improve our, our entire like, uh, fulfillment system. So how, how we look at grading, how we look at how we communicate that out. Uh, and I was able to be involved in every aspect of the business from product development to marketing, messaging, sales, business development. And for me, that's, you know, being an entrepreneur, that's, you do all of those things anyways. And so that was really attractive to me, the fact that I could be involved in all those and they were really open to that. And, you know, it actually helped, I think, our business a lot because we've been able to be very nimble you know as a startup i think once you get to a point and you get too big it, it's harder to make decisions and move and shift and and we've kind of maintained that uh, nimble quality um you know and and even all my time there and even up to now i think we're still we run really lean and we, we keep thinking run a really tight ship and you know we've changed up some of our processes like adding part-time analysts in season so to keep up with the demand you know um so yeah it's been a really cool process but like I said it's just it for me it's just like owning and, and being a part of um, the startup within this this startup environment so that that was attractive for me yeah I, I mean I think it all comes down to you know, no matter what you're doing you know the the culture 
and the the management style you know no different than like you know what what type of coach do you have if you're on the field yeah. if you if you have something that really jives with who you are in what you do best and how you operate best and it sounds like it, it just lined up perfectly for you that yeah. that environment was just you know complete synergy where you're able to you know both feed off of one another yeah no i think it was like i said it was a good it was a good marriage of, of timing and opportunity and um you know they had a need and and i felt like i could fill that and for me it, it's I, I always have to be my head and my heart have to be aligned when, when I do something, um, especially if I'm going to put a, a lot of my time and energy into it. And that's probably why I did my own thing for so long um, was just because I could, I could own it. And then I know that, you know, if I'm doing this, yeah, it, it makes sense financially, but also I know that I'm, you know, doing something good in the world and it doesn't necessarily have to be like charity work, you know, but for the game that I love and using my platform and, you know, all the skills that I've gained over the years playing the game, you know, now that can easily be translated to building this organization um, in a way that, you know, if, if you think about whether we make, you know, $10 million or we affect a million athletes, it's all about perspective. And for me, I can, we can do both of those things and like, you know, wake up feeling really good about it, look yourself in the mirror and know that you're doing something positive for the game that has given me so much as well. Absolutely. And I think that everything that I've seen is that you, you guys are well on your way. I, I mean, personally, if it's not obvious, I'm very excited about what, what you guys are doing in the fact that it, it, you know, so much has been accomplished in such a short period of time that, you know, where are we going to be 10 years from now? And that's the type like I, despite any, you know, concussions and all this stuff that the NFL gets a bad rap for being associated with. Well, I, I feel like this is part of the change that will happen yeah. over time that, you know, we might get to a point where fans and players mandate it, but by the time they're mandating it, the technology and everything else will be there. So it, yeah. it, it yeah. feels like it, it, it's a, we're, we're at the beginning stage of something very exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just to be a part of that solution is exciting for me, right? There's, I think, uh, the organizations, the NFL, NCAA, and whatnot, even you know, all the way down to high school, they're they're trying to do things the right way. They're trying to put the rules in place, right? They're trying to make sure that um, the the you know you have the technologies, the wearables, and the things that can show where people are moving and where contact's happening. And I think where we come in is really more on the technique side, even though we're really analytics driven, but we're really about behavior change. Or about behavior modification and you know initially people are people say well yeah it's hard to change someone's behavior and yeah we agree but you know that's exactly what coaches do they, they modify behavior on a daily basis by doing little things so to say that it's hard i'm like yeah it's hard but that's what the sport is and a coach can tell you will tell you that They'll, they can take you know a great athlete and put them into a, a position and teach them the intricacies of the technique whether it's uh you know, a defensive end and teaching them, you know, the hand, hand movements, hand fighting, you know, that they borrowed from, from, you know, jujitsu and some of those other disciplines. And now they're teaching them this and showing them how they can use that to better themselves as, as a player and be more efficient with their movements and more effective. And, you know, just that alone is what really gave us confidence that we could, you know, we can actually do that same thing within this industry. But it, it is exciting to be at, you know, a point where it's not it is it isn't widely accepted and it isn't you know commonplace so there is still a lot of education 
um, as we go around talking to people, but I think much more right now because of the environment that we're in, because of what's happened over the last, you know, five, 10 years around the game, people are, are and coaches are a lot more receptive to this type of, of, of change and, and behavior change and technique modification and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I, I can't wait to, to watch it unfold. I'm happy to have learned of it. You know, I, I don't want to say early as if I'm discrediting the last five, six years, but I feel oh, like yeah, no, compared to where early. we will be, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm happy that I'm on board so I can watch the whole thing play out. Yeah, um, it's definitely early in my mind, too. Yeah, you know, to get here, though, and you already referenced you know, sort of what you learned as a player and an athlete that you were able to translate into the, you know, call it the second act of your professional life. Yeah. First act being what you did uh, for nearly a decade uh, on a professional level. Yeah. Uh, I, I was hoping that we could actually bring it back to those Stanford days. And, um, yeah. you know, I and I, I feel like I'm getting some mixed signals here. Was it running back? Was it wide receiver? Was it just do <laughs> yeah. back to high school? How, how, how do you get to Stanford? What are you looking to do? What position does it matter? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, coming out of high school, I, you know, I think most, most, a lot of um, guys play both ways in high school. So I played sure. running back and linebacker in high school. Um, but I knew I actually knew I wanted to play offense going into college. And so I, I definitely, you know, um, most of the schools I got recruited as, as a running back. So Stanford was one of those that, um, you know, actually I didn't know a ton about the school at, at that time, you know, living in, in Toronto and, you know, I, I was born in Trinidad. And so I've only been in Toronto for what, uh, nine years at that point. Um, so I was learning a lot about this, the school and what, what they were about, but it, it got me excited because it was more than just athletics. It was this great tradition of, of high end, uh, you know, academics and you know almost an ivy league um edu style education with you know top level football and so yeah getting out to stanford was a lot of fun and um you know had a great career there played four years played as a freshman you know went to rose bowl my freshman year um and, and we had a you know we kind of went up and down this was a, a time we had tyron willingham was our head coach and so we had you know great year my first year kind of went down my second year, great year, my third year. And then uh, Coach Willingham left for uh, Notre Dame at the time. So we kind of struggled in my senior year. But, you know, I've done enough, I think, over that time to uh, make it to the next level. And so, you know, having that ability to, you know, take what I learned in college and then start, you know, applying it at the pro level, I just, I, I was able to kind of be free because I didn't feel a lot of pressure. I didn't, I wasn't a high draft pick or anything. So, I just went in there and, and tried to play ball and get back to the fun of it. And they really gave me an opportunity. And that's where I started to do a little bit more in terms of like um, a hybrid, you know, style. So I played running black, running back, uh, played a little fullback, did kick return for the first time. Um, and so, you know, at that point, man, you just want to get on the field. And I was playing behind, you know, Sean Alexander in his prime. So there wasn't a ton of reps to go around. Uh, so I had to find a way to get out there and, and doing kick return and stuff was like, Hey, I can touch the ball and you know, I can make something happen. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, anytime, I, I mean, period, that's a great way to look at it, but it, particularly as an undrafted, you know, free agent guy, it's like, yeah, yeah like you, you're going to give me a chance to shine, please, you know, let me yeah. earn a spot here. Um, yeah, but take you it. know, to, to, and I hate to put you on the spot like this because it's not black and white, but 
do you think it helps to have played for two different college coaches? You just get used to like, you know, learning different schemes at different ways things can be run by the time you get to the NFL, or does it more hurt you because that path you were going on now you kind of take a, a hard turn because now you have to get used to someone else's ideas about how to do things. And that can you know have a ripple effect in your playing time. Yeah, I think it, it, it can go either way. Um, for me, I saw it as, you know, but I'm kind of an eternal optimist anyway. So you'll, you'll learn that through the process. Um, but I saw it as an opportunity. Um, but oddly enough, you know, that, that senior year, we, my senior year, we didn't have a lot of success. We had a lot of great players on the team. I had a ton of guys drafted, but I think we won like two games or something like that. Um, so it was a ho- totally new system. We were throwing the ball, you know, 50 times a game. But, you know, I'm, I'm a running back, so, I, you know, we weren't running the ball near, not nearly as much as I would have liked. Uh, but the thing that I did take advantage of when I, you know, oddly enough, you know, you look at, okay, I, yeah, I would have loved to be drafted and, and, you know, gone to a team much higher. Um, but one of the things I did was I looked for a team that actually had a similar scheme that we ran in college. And so when I was looking for uh, options, you know, I got calls from four or five different teams and that was one of my big questions. And, you know, Seattle actually ran a West coast offense, used the same terminology as I did for three years at Stanford. So I thought it would be helpful for me if I didn't have to go in and learn a whole new offense at that point. And it was hugely helpful because then, you know, if you're not thinking out there, you're able to react and, and just play the game in your most natural way. And that's, you know, the most effective way to do it. So I think going in early, you know, I knew the playbook and I knew my assignments in terms of like, you know, blocking assignments specifically as a running back. They can't trust you if you, if you can't block for the quarterback. Um, and so I think it was really helpful for me. But the thing that you, you do get from being involved in coaching changes is understanding that, you know, each change is an, actually an opportunity for you to show this coach what you can do. And I experienced that, you know, obviously in Sta- at Stanford, you know, with going from Ty Willingham to Buddy Tevens. But I, I, I saw it again happen when I went to, you know, obviously I went from the Seahawks to the Redskins, had to kind of prove myself there again, unfortunately tore my ACL. So I sat out, you know, a year. And then when I went up to Montreal, you know, I played the year and then we had a new coach and a coaching change. And so that was that opportunity where I felt like, okay, here's a new coaching staff. I can teach them everything they need to know about me, you know, by my work ethic, how I show up day in, day out and practice and finishing. And, and so you just take advantage of that because you can always kind of wipe the slate clean and, and show the coaches who you are, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Like we said, their that their job is to come in and you know, work with your behavior and modify it to help you get to your best. And your job is to come in there and show them how hard you are willing to work um, to be able to get out on that field. And then in the end, you know, as long as you're performing and you're contributing, you have an opportunity to to go out there and, and, and show it to the world. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously you, you do that in, in Montreal and, and, you know, it's one thing when there's a coaching change and, you know, it's more or less, I don't want to use the word bum, but sometimes it's someone that underperforms in, in the opportunity that they were given. Yeah. But when Mark Trestman comes in, I, I mean, you're talking about someone that eventually what he does in the CFL paves the way for him to get into the NFL. Oh, Can you just, without necessarily the, the X's and O's behind why he's successful, what is it about just his personality and his approach that he was able to take you guys and just immediately, you know, cup contender every year? Yeah, he so Coach Russman, he's a very cerebral guy, right? He's a lawyer, attorney by by trade, and 
um, I think what he did was he got buy-in on, you know, on the process, right? He, the, the things that he came in and did, it wasn't, you know, the, he didn't really change up the offense. He didn't really, yeah, it wasn't about that. It was our attitude every single day. And, and it's you know, one thing that we all, we still joke about to this day is your, check your demeanor, right? He's like, you know, once you walk through these doors, I want to see he, they're going to watch the way you interact with the, the other players, the coaches, training staff, the equipment staff, the front office folks. And, you, you know, he doesn't care what's happening in your life outside of there. Not, not in that way. I mean, he does. He's a family guy first. If you have issues, you, you can go take care of it. But once you walk through that door, your focus is on football. Your focus is on, okay, what can I do today to get better and help this team? And he got the buy-in from the guys because the best guys on the team, Anthony Calvillos and Ben Cahoons and the guys that have been in the league forever who'd won championships, they bought in and they led the way in terms of how they approached each day. And so Coach Tressman was a master in my mind at getting people to buy into his philosophy on that, just that daily work. It wasn't, uh, you know, we all knew what the goal was, right? We did a great cup. That was our goal every year. But in order to get there, you got to take care of business right now. Take care of business today. Take care of your body. Take care of your mind. You know, study, film work, you know, all the things you need to do to prepare. And I think that's where he set himself apart because he, he was able to do that and establish that immediately. And guys bought in. And, I mean, we went on, you know, one, that was probably one of some of the most fun that I've had playing football. It's, of course, when you're having success and winning games and going to great cups, you know, you're, you're part of this huge you know, influx of success in a city, you're going to have a ton of fun. And, and yeah, it was just that. And then being able to play in three great cups in a row, win two of them, like that's something I'll, I'll never forget. And, you know, a group of guys and friends that, you know, are my, my friends and family for life as a result of what we went through together. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. Well, winning cures a lot. Um, <laughs> not yeah, that anything had to be cured there, but uh, you you did mention, but before uh, we jumped into the the CFL days, um, Sean Alexander, you know, Max Strong is there, a great fullback, and you're able to cross cross paths with the goat while you're there. You know, Jerry Rice, I believe, is on the roster of while your time um, <laughs> while you're in Seattle. Yeah. So just being being around, yeah. obviously not Jerry in his prime, but Jerry Rice nonetheless. I mean, did you take anything away from how some of these guys were approaching the game and what sort of, you know, could you steal things from what they were doing? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, Jerry, especially Jerry was like, a he was a routine guy. Like every, like the way that he got ready for practice every day was the exact same. It was like implicit. You know, he'd come in, he'd, He'd do it. He's coming at the same time, get his prep, get his warm up, get his stretch. You know, he'd even, you know, get his wristbands on the same way. And, and he'd just go through this process. And, you know, and talking to him, he's like, yeah, you don't, he's not out there trying to be great and make spectacular plays. He's trying to be consistent. Like he wants to know that. He wants him to know that if you throw the ball my way, you're going to, you're This is going to be consistent. I'm either going to catch it. I'm going to break it up. You know, the quarterback can trust him. And, because he was so consistent, you know, great things happened, right? He was good. He was good daily. So, and that became greatness. And so I took a lot of that from him and actually my locker wasn't too far from him. And, you know, I think about Jerry Rice, I think about Walter Jones, 
um, uh, Ran Randall, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Randall played for the Vikings. Cunningham? Um, no, no, the John Randall, sorry. John, John Randall. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so John Randall, like those guys who in my mind were like these, these legends, right? Um, and seeing them come in and and they had that same work ethic as well like john randall never complained walter jones never complained he also didn't have to show up because he was you know he was franchised every year so he didn't show up to training camp and he just come on day one and you know same thing come put his hat on go to work take care of business and then no one could get around him so yeah i was i was lucky and blessed to be surrounded by a great group of guys and you know one of my favorites you know, outside of Jerry, I think Jerry's actually one of the first guys and the only guys I ever asked for an autograph. So I was like, I, I don't care. I'm gonna have to do it. Uh, <laughs> um, but Matt, I'd say, you know, Sean Alexander, great mentor, but Max Strong was, was my favorite and taught me how to be a pro and how to take care of myself and how to approach the game and, and things like that. So I always had a lot of love for Big Mac. That's awesome. So, you, you know, as we get to the end here, when you think about what, whether it's the guys that sort of helped you become a good pro, the coaches that you had along the way, I, I mean, not that, that you could really put your finger on one thing, but you know, through that process, that decade-long process that you went through, you know, what do you think are you know, some of the most important things you left that chapter with that have enabled you to carry that success into the next part of your life? Yeah, that's the, you know, that's it's something I actually think about a lot, right? Um, this idea of, of, of pressure, like, you know, I think if you haven't been an athlete or haven't been in a high pressure situation in terms of, like a, you know, a game type situation, playoff situation, you know, championship situation where things can change at the drop of a dime, um, and they teach you how to deal with those, right? They teach you that that process of evaluation that I talked about, that Coach Stressman was so high on, that daily evaluation. You know, when I walk into you know a, a corporation now, you know nothing, you know not, nothing that is being done there scares me in in any way, right? The evaluation, the way we are evaluated on a daily basis, knowing that anyone can come and and take your job, or this guy performs this week, like you could be you know, either, you know, you know, not, not suiting up this week or you can be cut. That type of pressure was so heavy on you day in, day out that now when I go into the corporate world and with that same mentality of, and free agent mentality where I have nothing to lose, um, now I don't, I don't feel that pressure. I'm actually like, you know, I, I actually want it. I want to be evaluated. I want people to, you know, see, see how I'm working and learn from it and pull from it and, 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 and all those things. So I think that that piece was really big for me because it gave me the confidence to, you know, be able to adapt in, in those situations and not feel undue pressure on my back. You know, if we had a deadline come in or a big project or we're releasing, you know, a new, uh, new SaaS product, whatever it is, um, it, that, that gave me a lot of confidence to know that I can kind of deal with anything. And, um, and then they're just basic you know, things about, about leadership and cooperation and how you participate and work together as a group to accomplish a common goal. All the things that we did for an entire year, you know, as an organization, uh, as a football team in accomplishing that goal of getting to the championship, you know, now we just shrink that down and we say, okay, well, what's, we have these little goals. Okay. We got to get this, this website up. We got to get this product launched. We got to get these products sold. 
and you put those things into those buckets and you approach them the same way. So I think I've learned and taken as much as I can from my, my time on the field and around the coaches and around other players over the years and really just translated that into everything that I do now with, um, with Atavis and with any business that I would be involved in moving forward in life. I think it's been a great platform and foundation for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, awesome. Uh, but we'll carry a, I want to get you out of here on this little thing I call the gauntlet. I just have a couple quick hitter questions yeah. that I, I need your knee jerk answer on. All right. What's most important? <laughs> I'll do <winning>? my best. <laughs> I think you're going to yeah. be all right. Yeah. Number one offense or number one defense, which would you rather? Ooh. I go number one defense after seeing how the Seahawks have handled some things over the years. Now, uh, favorite football memory? Favorite football memory? I think I almost have one by, by like, okay, high school and then college and then, you know. Sure. Um, but, you know, I'd say, and it's, and it's a weird, obscure thing, but um, we played, you know, Green Bay um, in the playoffs my, I think it was my rookie year. Uh, and it was the game Matt Hasselback, you know, went into overtime and he said, you know, we're, we want the ball and we're going to score type of <laughs> I always get a lot of crap about that for, for Matt. But um, to me, just the allure of like Lambeau Field, right, and the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field and getting to play there in the playoffs, return kicks, that to me was just one of like my favorite memories, even though the game didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to. But it was like this little thing that I had always talked about. And you kind of hear the voice in your head of like the announcer, you know, you know, talking about the game and all that. So that that to me was just like a really cool, fun memory. And I'd say the other one is scoring a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. That's two. Wisconsin. That, was, that was pretty good. <laughs> two very good memories. And yeah. I really appreciate both of them because it's so easy to be like, oh, winning the Great Cup or, you know, winning the Rose yeah. Bowl. But like the fact yeah. that you know exact, the exact moment, uh, that's great. Did you have a pregame ritual and has it transferred over to any way before any big meetings or big calls that you might have today? Yeah. You know, for me, it's, it's like, it's, it's weird, right? It's almost like the opposite. Like football, you know, I'd have to get hyped up you know, for games. I'm a calm person by nature and pretty laid back and all those things. So I'd have to get hyped up. So yeah, rituals are always important. And it's just, you know, the things I would do with the other running backs, right? So just getting each other hyped up with the, you know, if you remember the the movie, The Program, you know, where Alvin Mack and Latimer hitting each other on the shoulder pads. We're not doing the spitting in the mouth stuff, none of that craziness. But yeah, that, that whole process of like, okay, how are we going to get up for this thing now? And like getting each other hyped and then getting back focused. And we do the same thing before we go into big meetings and stuff. We kind of joke around. We do, we listen to music and kind of get ourselves up. And then it's like, all right, now let's be clear about what our goals are, what we want to get accomplished, what success looks like. So I, I, yeah, we treat it the same way. And luckily I, you know, uh, funny, I mean, not funny, but being at a company like Atavis, you know, 90% of the people that work there played football, right? So, so it makes it easy because they all kind of understand and, and it's like a locker room environment. So it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Um, now what's most important? Is it the players or is it the scheme? Oh, I, I'd say the players for the fact that, um, if you have, if you, if you bring in the right players, you can build a scheme that fits the talent that you have. Right. So it's hard to plug guys into a scheme if their, if their skill set doesn't kind of match, you know, what you're trying to do. If you're trying to run a Tampa two, you know, and your middle linebacker runs a, Four eight, you know, you're, you're, it's going to be harder for you to, uh, you know, accomplish that. 
and drop them into that right position. But I think if you understand, okay, I'm drafting these guys for these specific purposes and I'm going to build a system or, around that, then I think, you know, uh, that's why I feel like the, having the right people and the talent is really important. Just, just by just by a little bit. Oh, of course. Yeah, it, it's not. It's like fifty one forty nine. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, lastly, just given everything you've been able to accomplish, you know, on the field, your life after, and just considering everything that's going on in the world, what's the one best piece of advice that you would give to you know have that level of success that you've been able to achieve? You know, in multiple different things that you've you know tried and put your work into. Yeah, I would. I would say, um, you know, we can't, we don't all have the platform and the capital to do everything that we want to do. You know, there's certain guys out there, LeBron's and, you know, Tiger and, and, you know, you name it, you name all the guys who are, you know, one name guys who can use their platform to affect change on this global level. Um, But I think we all have our own platform. We all have a way to change or the people that are close to us, uh, nearest to us, dearest to us. And I think it's our responsibility to do that, you know, both as athletes and as individuals. So, you know, especially in, in these, these trying times right now, I think that's really become more evident that it takes everyone working together and using what they have and not being worried about, you know, it being perfect or it being, you know, the, the best thing in the world, but do the best with what you have use your platform for something positive and you know and take do the things that got you there because i think sometimes like you achieve success in one thing and then you feel like oh well if i'm going to try to achieve success in this other thing i have to change up the way that i do it but you know if you have the right work ethic if if what got you there waking up at 5 a.m and working out working everyone being more prepared then do that same thing when you get that job that you want or if you're going after that job that you want you wake up at 5 a.m to you know change some of the things that you're doing in there if it's not going to work out you know for two hours because that's not your goal it's okay i'm going to work on my skill for you know two hours i'm going to work on this element for a certain amount of time so i think taking taking advantage of those things and remembering what got you there and using your platform for, you know, whatever positive purpose you can is, you know, the advice I would give to anyone listening to this, you know, and I appreciate you having, you know, spending the time with me and allowing me to, to kind of get this message out there as well. Well, thank you for, for taking the time. And, and I uh, feel like those are very wise words, you know, it, everyone essentially has a brand. It's just, you know, like not all of us are known by one name internationally. So your yeah. brand might be a little bit smaller than someone like a LeBron, but you still have one and every day you make decisions about what reflects that brand and what do you stand for and you know, what positive or negative message will you put out there? And ultimately, if you think of yourself as the CEO of your brand, how do you want to be remembered? You know, would, who's going to buy stock in that brand? Yeah. So, I mean, hundred percent. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's, it's awesome what you're doing. And, 